Notes from the Upper West Side, a novel by Dan Wrench. Chapter 59, The Parp Proclivities. Jessica wasn't the only person in my life who wondered why Parp was helping me out. Kurt Libby was at least as curious as Jessica and way more dramatic. And he was kind of a dick about it, too. Let me get this what they call straight, he said, like he was rehearsing to play the district attorney. You take out your deck, the deck you own, and you use it to plow this cami, a check you rest your marriage to nail. Then Parp takes out his wallet and covers the room for you, and you don't think he's expecting anything in exchange. He, he didn't pay for the room, Kurt. I gave him the cash, and he let me use his gold card. Plus, he alibied me. So your wife actually asked him where you were, and he lied for you. Not yet, but if she does, he'll alibi me. So he said he'll alibi you, but he never actually provided the service. And if he does, you'll think he's just being your old chum. Nothing in it for him. Just good old altruistic Parp. I'm pretty sure he'll alibi me. Yeah, sure, Parp's kind of a preposterous character and occasional schmuck, but I have to say he's usually pretty good about keeping his promises and without demanding anything in return. It's a matter of principle with him. Just ask the doll. Ho. Oh. You know, Carol. Carol Weezer. I thought she hated Parp. She does, but she still vouches for him when it comes to keeping promises. Well, secrets. Keeping secrets. If Parp promises to keep a secret for you, he always does. But the whole time I was saying this, I was remembering how an alibi morning Parp didn't pick up his phone when I called him from the Starbucks at Worldwide Plaza. I mean, I really wanted to believe he took seriously this whole giving me an alibi business, and maybe he would have picked up if he'd seen Junior's name on the caller ID, but I had this gut feeling he'd just slept through the phone ringing. And if he had slept through the phone ringing, when he and I were supposed to be wide awake and sweating over the post-production of Little Round Jewish Hat, and if it had been Junior calling instead of me? Disaster. Well, potential disaster. Yeah, potential. So you're saying he handed you a plastic card, Libby said. Didn't cost him anything. Now you owe him a favor. Now you're end him. Well, handing me the card wasn't nothing. I got a great room for cheap because of this gold club he belongs to. But it didn't cost him anything, Libby said. See what I mean? He's got this card lying around. It's not like he was planning to use it himself, but he let you have it instead. It cost him zero. And now you owe him. Yeah, Libby really hated Parp. And look, I knew it couldn't hurt to be on my guard against Parp, but I really wasn't worried he might have some hidden motive that I hadn't already thought about and sweated over. Remember when I met Parp at the city diner that night a few days before the inaugural ball so I could confront him about why he was helping me? Well, back then I was pretty suspicious and even a little peeved and his explanation still satisfied me. Why should I start worrying about it now? Besides, I figured... I had a superior knowledge of the PARP proclivities, proclivities that rose like steam from the canals twisting through his cerebellum, proclivities known collectively and to the layman as PARP nuttiness. 
Like I said once before, I've known Parp since before there was an MTV. He loved the thought of kicking the props out from under some institution we all bought into just because our parents did. It warmed him up like a red state Christmas. I knew that for a fact. Back last March, or maybe it was early April already, when Libby and I were having our conversation, we were in the lounge of the Commodore Hotel where he works as a bartender. This lounge? It's designed and managed by the same company that designed and manages the Irish Tavern where I work, and they look a lot alike except when you step out of the bar at the tavern, you're stepping onto the 50th Street sidewalk, but when you step out of the lounge at the Commodore, you're stepping on a carpet in a hallway that leads to other parts of the hotel. You know what it exactly, and I mean exactly, reminds me of? Libby asked. Let me guess. It reminds you of the time Parp let you bang Desiree Skarsgård in his apartment for six months. Whoa, he said. Holy shit. How the effing fuck did you know I was going to say that? Because you always say that. It's your go-to story on why Parp is a sociopath, you know, for trying to break up your marriage. Plus, I think you've told me that story at least once every couple weeks since it happened two years ago. I feel like I was there with you for the whole six months, except I never got to hump Desiree. I know about the smell of garlic and cannabis coming from Parp's neighbor's apartment. I know that Desiree had an issue with you seeing her ass while the lights were on. I know about the pillows stacked on Parp's bed. I'm thinking of moving to LA just so I can hang with people who never heard about you and Parp and Desiree. Holy shit. Are you saying a lot of people know about this? You know my thing with Desiree? Because, dude, it would not be good if it got back to Candace. I don't know. I was exaggerating for effect. There are plenty of people I can hang with in New York who don't know about your affair. I wouldn't call it an affair, man. Well, whatever you would call it, there aren't that many people who know about it. I don't think. But look, if you're so worried about it getting back to Candace, then maybe you shouldn't talk about it so much. Um, I didn't say I talked about it a lot, man. Okay, maybe I told you a few times, and of course, Parp knows. You think I can trust Parp, right? That's his rep. He seemed relieved. Then he laughed. <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess that's one of his reps. Somewhere in there, the two of us drifted all the way out of the hotel, and when we got outside, we lit up. There were some other people out there smoking too, and we were all standing beneath this awning to the side of the big circular drive that leads from 6th Avenue to the hotel entrance. Yeah, well, when Parp asked me for that girl's number that Christmas, like I owed it to him because he let me meet Desiree in his apartment, I pushed back. I let him know. I didn't owe him Shinola. But you sort of did, didn't you, Kurt? I mean, letting you meet a chick in his apartment a night or two a week for months, that's substantial. You didn't think you owed him anything for that? You know how they say fuck that sometimes? You know, fuck that, he asked. Okay, well, me owing Parp? Fuck that. He said he was doing it for liberation or something. Freedom. All right. If that's how he gets his wood, then hey, man, liberation it is. So he got to feel like a revolutionary, and I got to throw Desiree the joy toy on his 99 pillows. It was a trade. Pretty unequal, though, wouldn't you say? I mean, with me, all he did was let me use his gold card. With you, he had to go find shit to do two nights a week. Okay, so I liked the guy, he said. He was exasperated. He stomped out his cigarette butt like it was an angry cockroach looking for food on his face. I was, what's the word, dispensed. Um, disposed. 
to do him a favor back then. I just wasn't ready to have him dictate what the favor was. You know? You know? Yeah, yeah, I get it, I said. I didn't know the deal was pay me back now or I'll go around telling people you and your wife remind me of Jude the Obscure, he raged. With cats instead of kids, I geek cackled. <laughs> All I'm saying is, you need to watch out. Now he thinks he's free to demand shit from you. Just wait, you'll say. We went back into the lounge and he poured us something. I think it was club soda and lime. At first I was hoping for free alcohol, but I was good with keeping a clear head that night. Plus, lime and club soda can be kind of refreshing. What do you think Pop's going to ask you for? He grinned. Now you're like the Undertaker and the Godfather. Then he pulled out his Brando impression. One day, on that day may never come. I will call upon you to do a service for me. He laughed. <laughs> I gig cackled. <laughs> so what do you think he's going to demand? He asked again. I looked through the lounge doorway to the lobby. There was this fountain out there with this Greek guy's head, or maybe it was a Roman guy's head carved into the marble at the top. And all I could think was, I was pretty sure Parp already had what he wanted. All he wants is to be a storybook hero, I said. Notes from the Upper West Side is a work of fiction. The people depicted in this work do not exist. Notes from the Upper West Side, copyright 2013 to 2018, by Dan Wrench.